Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Goldfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, the first guide of funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. It's full of funk goodness, the good stuff, reviews, history, stuff about myself. You'll love it. I promise. Pick one up. Makes a great gift. Whether you're watching on iTunes, uh, or rather um, YouTube, or at funkinstuff.net, or listening to the audio version on iTunes or through other podcast providers, I thank you as always so much for your continued interest in supporting the program. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe. Subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where truth and rhythm in the video format resides and lives and breathes and thrives and brings you the funk, R&B, and soul artists that you love so much. So be sure to support the program. It's much appreciated. The 1970s was no doubt the golden age of horn sections, with those musicians playing a pivotal role in the period's sensational funk and soul music. Two of the most important figures were trombonist Fred Wesley and saxophonist Maceo Parker, both of whom honed their craft in support of James Brown. Wesley, who has also been featured on Truth and Rhythm, developed into a master arranger as well. The JB Connection led to the two of them joining Bootsy Collins' phenomenal band in the mid-1970s, shortly after they had teamed up with Parliament Funkadelic leader George Clinton. After initially flushing out their P-Funk horn sound with jazz masters, the Brucker Brothers, Wesley recruited trumpeters, the late Richard Cush Griffith, and a white kid out of Kansas named Rick Gardner to round out the section. The foursome was dubbed the Horny Horns, first heard on Bootsy's 1976 debut album, stretched out in a rubber band. They went on to record their own albums as well as back a cavalcade of P-Funk acts and artists outside of Clinton's empire. Gardner initially seemed like a fish out of water, but quickly proved himself thanks to his lifelong love affair with the trumpet and formal academic music background. His wild ride with the greatest funk show on earth or likely any other planet unfolds in this episode of Truth and Rhythm. In addition to Bootsy's debut, among the incredible albums Gardner played on were Parliament's The Clones of Dr. Funkenstein, Live P-Funk Earth Tour, Funkentelechy vs. The Placebo Syndrome, and The Motor Booty Affair. Also Bootsy's, Ah, The Name is Bootsy Baby, Bootsy Player of the Year, and This Boot is Made for Funkin', as well as The Horny Horns, A Blow for You, A Toot for Me, and Say, by so, uh, say Blow by Blow Backwards. Bit of a tongue twister, too. And Parlette's Pleasure Principle, as well as Bernie Worrell's All the Woo in the World. Other acts he blew his horn for included Marvin Gaye, the SOS Band, Red Hot Chili Peppers, New Birth, and Osiris. Here, in what figures to be his most in-depth interview ever, Gardner covers the gamut of his crucial musical contributions. Working with an amazing cast of funky, supremely talented, and colorful characters. How his playing complemented the other horny horns his most unforgettable experiences, why he departed from the U.S. funk mob, other artists he went on to play with, why P-Funk's body of work is so important and has stood the test of time, and what he is up to nowadays. It's appropriate this discussion with Gardner 
emanates from the Denver area, where the wind blowing off the snow-peaked Rockies matches the air that blew such coolness out of this man's horn. Enjoy. I am thoroughly thrilled to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm studio one of the four members from arguably the hottest horn section of them all. I'm speaking of Rocky Rick Gardner of the Horny Horns. His powerful trumpeting augmented that of the late Richard Cush Griffith, saxman Maceo Parker, and trombonist Fred Wesley on their albums, as well as Classic Parliament, Bootsy's Rubber Band, and other P-Funk acts. I have Rick on the phone today. Rick, how are you doing, man? Oh, it's a great day here in Denver. It's uh, about 70 degrees, like perfect. Wow. Well, as you know, I was there under uh, less uh, friendly circumstances a couple weeks ago, so I'm glad to hear that that's cleared up. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a horrible uh, few days. Uh, I'm glad you made it through uh, safely. I I should get a T-shirt, right? I survived the Denver blizzard <laughs> of 2019, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you deserve what I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, we, you know, that it, it, it's so strange because um, that morning, that Wednesday morning, it started raining and then the rain started freezing and literally just made a ice everywhere. And so the cars were sliding and, you know, slipping and sliding, and you know, it was a mess. How long have you been in uh, the Denver area, Rick? Oh, we've been here since about 2000. And uh, where are you from originally? Well, we're from Wichita, Kansas. That's uh, where we grew up. I'm speaking of my wife, Pat. Uh, we, uh, I first met her when, uh, in 1956. So she was like six years old when I was eight. <laughs> it's a funny, you know, it's a strange how life does. So when you were uh, back in Kansas, uh, when did you first you know, get into music and how did that all get started? Well, I think as a general rule, uh, the people that are lucky enough to have teachers, uh, you can go back to those roots and, and kind of explain yourself. My my trumpet tutor was Cliff Sproul, who was uh, with Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, and that type of bands back in the day. So he was uh, most excellent, one of the best trumpet players I ever heard. So I got the benefit of that. And then the, the town of Wichita, Kansas, actually has had put out some pretty decent musicians. And, you know, being growing up with those people, one went to Juilliard and became the principal trumpet player at the Met. The other one went to Berkeley and is a great jazz saxophonist. So you, you, as you come up, you, you know, your teachers and the people around you really do have a positive effect on you. Absolutely. So about, about how old were you when you first started? I think I was 12 when I first started. It's a funny story because the day that I started, I got hit by a car in the morning. And then in the afternoon, uh, my mom took me to a music store and and uh, they put a horn up to my mouth and I blew it and it, the tone came out. It was like, this was kind of eerie. I mean, it was like a nice tone. So from that point on, I was practicing, you know, like everybody does, you know, many, many hours every day from that point forward. Um, 
your family, how they how they affect you, if they support you, it makes a big difference. And in this case, they, they were very supportive. You know, right after uh, the public schools, uh, right after high school graduation, I went with a group called Up With People. And Up With People played the White House and Red Rocks and the Hollywood Bowl. And that was before I went to, uh, and they, oh, they also recorded at RCA Studios. Um, I think it was the same time that Santana was recording, because I remember hearing the uh, See the Wall. Anyway, that was just before I went to Wichita State, and there I studied as a public performance major. So that's all kind of background as to how come you have the skills to do these things. And, uh, you know, that segues out of, out of school, you get the itch, and, and you want to get involved in, you know, what's happening today. And that was the Fabulous Flippers, which is like the number one Midwest show band. Uh, the trombone player became a doctor of music, and the guitarist, well, both guitarists were uh, excellent. One went with, uh, with uh, Frankie Valley, who was his guitarist for years, and the other one went out to Hollywood and played in various uh, rock bands. But uh, and then I went to Holly, Holiday on Ice as a conductor, went on to Calliope, which was a... Um, Las Vegas type show band. And then the big deal, which was Chase, um, Bill Chase uh, from Woody Herman's band, um, just an astounding type of player. And everybody in the band was the most excellent. Uh, that probably was one of the reasons I got hired by Bootsy was because of the, those kind of chops. I also played with Ray, uh, Ray Van Derek, the Doors keyboard player, in two of the Golden Scarab tour. And this is all before the hookup. And that's like a segue there, the, the strange peak on hookup from all that kind of background segue into this. And that happened because Melvin Webb, Bloodstone's drummer, uh, I met up with him in Kansas City. He flew me out to Hollywood to do a tour with Johnny Taylor. Well, the, 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 the tour didn't, didn't happen. And, uh, Melvin got a call from Fred Wesley looking for a high note trumpet player for Bootsy Collins. And after I spoke with Fred, I went over to his house and read some parts with him. And uh, Bootsy was there, uh, in his listening. Uh, that was actually the, you know, the audition, which I, <laughs> I didn't even know I was auditioning. Just reading parts of him, and you know that that segues into Fred Wesley. You know, just awesome, awesome from all all points. I mean, it's a ranger, it's a trombone player, jazz player. Uh, it was you know I was just really jazzed to be uh, in his presence. I just thought, wow, this is fantastic. And you know, having played the charts with Chase, which was some of the most difficult charts ever written. Uh, this was kind of, you know, wasn't wasn't that difficult for me. I recorded on that, uh, like you were talking about the Stretching Out album, uh, Warner Brothers, that first album. And at the top, if you, if you turn the record over and look at the top of the, the, the back of that cover, you see that's the original time that Horny Horns were mentioned. mentioned. That is where it came from. And uh, <laughs> it, just, it was just straight, you just want to know. 
how you get from point A to point B. Wow, that's quite a uh, a lot of history you covered right there, Rick, in a mouthful. Um, <laughs> what what yeah. what was it? What was it about the trumpet, though, in particular, that that was the one that you gravitated toward? Do you think? Well, it's, that's a story in its own self. It was my mom, really, that had the idea. She had seen Ray Nichols in the Five Pennies movie you know, a few days before, and she was so impressed with Red Nichols. Uh, and Louis Armstrong, you know, all, all the real guys really thought this guy was really good. And he'd gone into the service and, and came out, and, you know, after you lose that groove, you'd think that it wouldn't be happening, you wouldn't be happy anymore. But and with him, it was just like most of like P-Front people, you're not stopping playing. So that, I guess that was the thing. She was so uh, enthralled with this movie that this, this guy didn't give up. And uh, he started out, you know, like Louis Armstrong, that kind of a jazz player, and went through the service and, you know, had a family and did all that kind of stuff. And then at the other end, he had his own, put his own, uh, Fred, uh, Fred Nichols and the Five Pennies. And that was one of those bands like Goodman and, you know, all the bunch that uh, they were just excellent players. Did, did you ever have a, a doubt or a question that music would be your, your livelihood, your career? Did you think about doing anything no, else? Or? No, that, that's funny to, to say because there's two things, probably two or three things in life that have been monumental like that. My wife, I met my, my wife was telling me about uh, when we were so young, but what I didn't tell you was, the day that I met her for the first time, it was at a Bluebird meeting, which is like Girl Scouts, that my mom was her Bluebird leader with my sister. And uh, I was coming down the stairs and turned around, and it's like one of those lightning bolt events strikes you. And that was kind of the same kind of vibe that when I touched the trumpet to my lip, it was about the same thing. She knocked me out, and I, you know, was like, we're so little, what did that mean? But there was an implant, you know, something happened. And the same thing with the trumpet to my lips. It was like, oh, this is what I was supposed to do. It was like one of those things you can't explain, but you just know it's right. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, <laughs> so um, getting back to, um, you know, entering that the P-Funk camp. So you, uh, Fred Wesley and Maceo, they had, the first sessions they did was Mothership Connection, right, with Parliament, and then? This Bootsy record? Right, that's that's correct. The Brecker Brothers, I think, might have been on that uh, Mothership Connection. And I think they were on this one too, but um, that's a, a, a major connection, just like Cush is. Uh, when you're talking about Horny Horns, well, you know, of course, Cush would have been on the original, but he was signed to Motown with Bottom Company, and he couldn't get out of the deal, of the contract. So when we came through, I think it was Louisville, his hometown, he was like absolutely knocked out with the band. I mean, we were sounding really good. The first year of, of Rubber Band was awesome. I mean, it, it's probably the best band I've ever heard, period. As in any band at any time, they were awesome. So, um, Kush is not, I mean, Kush is kind of like, Kush and Rick, they had a thing that was very slick. It was like, we melted together as, as to become something that, the powerhouse of the horn section. And Kush is the one that got me over to Marvin Gaye 
uh, he called me, him and Marvin called me uh, to come to Hawaii. And I did that uh, last tour with him. And we did a, a, a concert at the Montreux Jazz Festival and they made a DVD of it. So that's that's one of the last times you see Cush and Rick together is on that Marvin Gaye 1980 DVD from Montreux. So I mean, each one of them, yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought, but um, so I was, I was just, I was just showing the first Bootsy record um, to the viewers, but um, yeah, that band, that band, like you said, was unbelievable. Um, what was it like, you know, when you first got with them, did you do any performing first or it was studio first? Uh, that was rehearsals in Bootsy's basement. That's what started. Then he drove us up to Detroit. I think we did um, multiple project uh, tracks. Uh, I know Horny Horns, the first Horny Horns uh, was Ben. Uh, that's when they had that uh, Peabody uh, music conservatory piano player. Uh, what was his name? Ocean? Uh, but he was awesome. He's the one that played that piano part on uh, Peace Street. And uh, that's I mean, it was uh, my 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 face was like broke. <laughs> we we practiced so much, and you know that was just normal for them. That was just like you know everyday stuff. You do this many hours of rehearsal, then you go do the session, then you do the gigs. You know, it's like bang bang boom. Well, if you're not used to that, that's 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 a strain <laughs> to say the least. But it was awesome. Uh, you know, going through it, and uh, you knew that you were in the pros when you, you were hanging out with him in the recording studio and on stage. I, I saw I saw the rubber band in seventy seven or eight on the Monster Rock tour at the LA Forum, and uh, what oh, yeah. an unbelievable show! You had a radio and uh, enchantment opened, and um, I never heard a better band. I got to tell you that. <clears throat> Yeah, that was a good concert. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, you don't get to fill the auditorium uh, like that without having something going on. I mean, there was lots of lots of uh, good acts. Um, I was thinking about uh, the connection between the, the, you were talking about horny horns. You, you can think of them in another way too. Fred was obviously the nucleus, and the reason that I came there was him. Uh, he also had me do projects outside of P-Funk. We did the uh, Ali Bongo uh, Jr.'s wedding uh, for the president of Gabon. Fred was like the, uh, he took his orchestra over there. That was awesome. I mean, that was some royalty stuff that I had not been around. Got flying, flown in and uh, he's staying at a palace that's made out of marble. And that was made by the French. Gibraltar, it was awesome. Full string section, you know, it, it was done up really well. And they used my tune, Fred used my tune, the Sacred Mound, as the opener to the show. That, I've never, I've never heard it done as well as how that was. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get a recording of it, but it was still, you know, one of those things, one, one time type of deal. It was great. He, he's played so well. In fact, everybody in the orchestra played well, but Fred was really, really on. 
You mentioned um, the Johnny Taylor thing. Was was that when um, members of P Funk were uh, playing his record that had Disco Lady and all that? That's exactly what that was. I was that was one of my first sessions. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Like I was saying, it was Melvin. Melvin brought me up here to to tour with him, but then some you know things happened and that didn't go down. But he called uh, Fred and uh, Fred called him. And, we got the thing rolling. I, you know, I also want to give credit to Mayfield. Mayfield had me go out there with him. It must have been in the late nineties when Booty was doing a tour, and Mayfield was his band as uh, and, and uh, also Bobby Bird, uh, Pee Wee Alice, Mayfield, Fred, and me were the horn section. Because Kush had become so ill and he couldn't see uh, anymore. That's why I, I took his place, basically. He would have been Christian in that. But uh, life has a, a way of changing. <laughs> you just never know what you're going to be doing. Well, back then, in the, uh, at, at, the, at the peak of it, though, at the height of it, um, Rick, did did uh -huh. you did, did did you kind of know what you were working on at any given time, or was it just you know a flood of tracks and parts and and George Clinton just decided where they were going to end up and that sort of thing? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, now some stuff was determined. Like I remember one time in Detroit, uh, and this is one of those things you just you people don't hear about. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred wrote, I think it was five charts, complete charts with, with strings for the Detroit Symphony that we did the next morning. <laughs> I'm going, what? <laughs> I sat there and watched him. I couldn't believe my eyes. It just poured out of him. That was, that was, uh, he said, what should we do with that? They said, well, you know, make it orchestration. And uh, he certainly knew what that was. <laughs> did, did you did you typically um, lay down your, your horn parts with other band members, or how was that done in the studio? Who would you usually, you know, play with or spend time with in the studio? Yeah, it did vary, but basically, uh, Bootsy and uh, Catfish and, and Frankie, um, would, would lay down, you know, pretty, pretty much what it was going to be like. And then Fred would write charts over the top of that. So there's, there was boxes and boxes, Bootsy had boxes and boxes of tapes of all the separate parts. And, and, and he was methodical about that stuff. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you would do, like, I mean, there would be instances, like if you're doing a solo, uh, when I say so, I always think of Kush when he did that. His old lady had hit him in the eye the night before. I mean, really smacked him. So, so he's, he's holding one eye with one hand and playing the horn in the other. <laughs> and this solo, man, I'm telling you, it was a monster. He ended up on a double high C. Just, and I'm going, holy shit, there's Kush. Because I, you know, I'm thinking, hey, he's been joking up to now. And because he really was awesome. And, you know, he kind of was so good that he just kind of kicked back and, and uh, allowed other things to happen. But when he had his turn, man, it's just like Marvin. Marvin called to push up to, to do solo. It's like, 
he was the funkiest trumpet player in the universe, period. Wow. <laughs> so there. Well, you know, um, no, no, um, no disrespect to you and, and your playing and, and all that, which is amazing. But uh, growing up and just always, um, Fred and Maceo, my very favorite horn players. Um, I played sax myself, so I related to Maceo, and um, I just never heard anyone play the trombone like Fred. I mean, um, the the Crusaders had a little bit of that, but um, you know, just no, just I mean, good jazz players, but. Just, it's just just the way they lay back in the groove, you know. I mean, unbelievable. Um, and and so, just say I was blessed. Just say it like that. I was put in the first year, particularly. I was put in between the two best horn players on the planet. So how bad could it have been? <laughs> <laughs> did did you know, it was. It was it was awesome, and you're correct. They they were they were the, the real deal. Did did you um, have to learn how to really get inside funk? You know, once you got with them, or you know, how hard was it to adapt well, to that those kind of styles? I, I would say that that's backwards. I would say that the, the reason the horn section worked the way it did was because of me. Now, let me let me make you understand what I mean. So Fred Maceo, just like you said, laid back. Well, when Kush came, it was apparent that we were the power. Well, the power has to be on the one. So you get a and because of the sound of the saxophone and the sound of the trombone and these two trumpets that are pretty much in perfect harmony, you know, you get a sound that is unique, and that's why that name horny horns made sense because it was kind of like crazy how that mixed together who who came up with the name i heard i heard it was george clinton's wife is that true horny horns yeah i it could have been uh all i know is it was on booty's uh stretching out album that was the first time i had heard or seen it i also want to mention uh rick this um Clones of Dr. Funkenstein, which I'm holding up right now for viewers. That, um, as greatest great as, album of, as great great as, album of all time. <laughs> as great as Mothership Connection was from a funk perspective, the horns, no. the horns on clones are just unbelievable. Well, it's because you had the best horn players on the planet all together. And what I mean by that, I'm not sure if that was David I on uh, Barry. I can't really, I mean, it's kind of foggy there. But of course, it was Randy and Michael Beckers and Fred Maceo and me. So, I mean, you had one of the strongest horn sections that ever played together. Michael spoke on that, that uh, you know, Michael died of uh, leukemia or something terrible. And... Uh, but he spoke to his brother Randy because Randy called me and, and told me this. He said Michael said that that was his favorite session in his life. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Michael Brecker, who was if not the best, one of the top five best tenor players in history. That's what he thought of that album. Well, you know, tracks like um, "Gaming on You" and um, the uh, "Children of Production." I mean, wow! Yeah. 
Yeah, they, those are, and that was a combination of, of uh, George and Bootsy, but Bernie and Fred, I mean, they killed it. Let's just say it like that. They killed it. That that booth when we did that session, that was one of the happiest places on the universe. <laughs> they, they were loving that. Because my, uh, Michael and Randy are always saying, "No, you guys got the best bass. You know, we wish we had a bass player like that." It's like, well, sorry. <laughs> Rick, 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 what was your uh, first impressions of of Bootsy as both? A uh, musician as and as a personality. Well, I loved him. So, as a personality, I mean, when we first got there, he was kind of just like a uh, into Jimi Hendrix kind of. He, I mean, that vibe, you know, the clothes, the the, the look. He was very much that. Uh, but what people don't realize is when he was just playing bass, being a bass player, that was one bad dude. I mean, seriously, seriously incredible. When he was playing it just his Fender back in the beginning when we were doing rehearsals before all the star bass and all that stuff happened, you know, the, the star time. But I'm talking about just as the, the band, it, it was like merging James Brown with uh, Jimi Hendrix and George, all that kind of meshed up together. Uh, and this very young, uh, brilliant bass player uh, leading the thing. I mean, the hits were there, everything was there. I think he also was the best at ballads too in the whole P-Funk group, you know, uh, he could do it all. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's absolutely yes. Um, George, you know, I think he was a lot smarter uh, in in certain ways because he was, you know, so much older. Had 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 some uh, experiences that Bootsy hadn't had. But uh, in the beginning, there, man, it was like uh, everything was tight. I mean, it was. I mean, business, everything it was going down right. I think it was when Fred went to Basie is when the thing kind of started changing. Uh, I think Fred realized that you know this 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 you know there's an end here. Plus, he had an opportunity to play a bassie, which you know for a trombone guy, you know, that's like a big honor. So, but it was sad to, you know to have him go. But Maceo, you know, Maceo did this did his thing, and and you know he's he's such a good entertainer and 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 uh, front type person that. Uh, Chris and I just kind of got around him and it made the thing happen. And it was still happening. Uh, like the brides tour after that, you know, that people don't remember that we did that, but that was some good, good music and Chris did some great arranging. Well, you also, you got to go out on the, on the legendary mothership tour, right? So what was that experience like for you? Well, yeah, I was there for, um, up in the uh, up, up in New York when they did the rehearsals, that was the um, the choreographer for the Barbara Streisand. I mean, that was a freaking heavy weight thing going on there, and they laid out laid it laid it out, you know, like it was supposed to. And uh, I, you know, I just can't say enough about the concept of where they were at that time. 
Davis really, I mean, George is brilliant, and so is Lucy. He kept his ship tiger, you know, George is looser, but uh, each worked for each of them. So would you pl you played on both Bootsy's and uh, P Funk sets uh, on those on those shows or no? Yes. You must have been exhausted. Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but you got to remember how young we were. We were strong back then. That's a long, long time ago. Well, I think I was like twenty five or something. Was, you know, perfect perfect timing for strength and, and stamina and. And yes, they will kick your ass. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I can remember everybody laid out in the, the back in the green room or whatever before sets, you know, in the middle of their long tour. <laughs> it was like walking zombies. And we were uh, sleeping, standing up sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, we we still, you know, we did our jobs and, and it, uh, the concerts were good. Did 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 George ever um, suggest any augmentations to the horn parts or anything like that, or was it really no. left up to to Fred well, and you guys? One one time, one time he said something, and I think that's the only time he ever spoke to me direct about something, and that was uh, that part that Bernie wrote for uh, do that stuff. Uh, I thought you know, we should, um, you know, do it more like the Beatles, that, that type of, uh, like a piccolo trumpet or something. But once he heard that lick, he, he said, no, and repeat it. <laughs> Not just once, twice. So, uh, and then the high note shake on the end. That Yeah, he, he kind of influenced that. But other than that, I don't think he ever said anything because Fred was the master. You know, he just... And Bernie, too, for that matter. Bernie was a great arranger. But for me, you know, Fred was the thing. He was the standard. Do you think, um, would you say uh, Fred is greater at arranging or just playing? Uh, I think he's about equal. I think the first time I heard Fred, uh, he was transcribing a J.J. Johnson solo. That just just really got me because we we studied JJ Johnson and, and at the university, you know, in the jazz band, and we knew how freaking great he was, and you know the albums he made. But he was, you know, extracting it off the record and playing it. So I'm going, holy crap, this guy is really good. And I was right. But as far as arranging, uh, I think he's genius on all levels. I mean, that's what I think of him. It's crazy, but he's just freaking wonderful. You know, the, the music that you guys were doing was so phenomenal. I mean, it was head and shoulders above most of anything else out there. But were you surprised that it hit as big as it did, that the masses went for it like they did? Well, yes and no. Um, I thought it could have gone further. Uh, yes, it did. It was great. But you got to, you know, think of, uh, of the big picture, you know, the thing with the, the aliens and all that stuff that he, the concept of mothership, you know, uh, black astronauts you know, being the space people and, and making everybody funky down here, you know, it, it had a ring to it, which is still ringing to, to today. I mean, it, it was, it was 
incredible. Plus all of the, the little side things about him going to Bimini and, and uh, you know, that whole the black helicopters uh, flying over his property up there in Detroit. It was always that extraterrestrial, strange, weird stuff going on, <laughs> you know? And it was real, but it was not real at the same time. I'm just showing the um, uh, Motor Booty Affair cover since you mentioned, uh, mentioned yeah, that. that. Was awesome. um, I remember we, go ahead. we stopped down in Orlando and uh, George and then went out on the boat, did fishing and other such things uh, down the Devil's Triangle down in that area. And, uh, you know, I had no, I mean, I, I guess I should have gone, but there was so much stuff going on and the energy level, you know, that <laughs> cover where you're standing on the dolphins. It's like, holy crap, man. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's just terrific because, you know, the, the dolphin is more intelligent than we are. I mean, they use more of the brain than we do. So it's, I just thought, man, he is really saying some stuff without saying some stuff. He's got a very bright brain. <laughs> when when was it determined that the Horny Horns would get their own records? Um, was that something you think that Fred had negotiated, or, or how did that come about? Yeah, I'm pretty, I think that was a deal that was really the record deal was for Fred and Maceo. And then when they added me, and then Kush was, we knew Kush was in the wind, he, he, he would be coming. Uh, and they said, you know, like, hey, just hang in there. It'll, you know, when all this comes together, then it'll be all of us. But right now, that's this is the way it is. Which was fine, you know. We, you know, we were fine with that. But it was funny as the years went on. The Japanese, particularly, they flipped around on their promo packages. They flipped around and used Kush and I <laughs> as the frontliners. And I was thought, now that is somebody saying something, you know, it's like they got us and we had an effect on that, uh, those, those records. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. On that first record, Between Two Sheets, do you know, was that originally intended to be a Bootsy song? It has such a Bootsy feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just remember having sheets on <laughs> and playing that music. Yeah, that was that was right there in the beginning. It was kind of uh, kind of cool. I, I didn't quite you know grasp it at the time, you know how uh, where he was coming from with the uh, the Casper and all that stuff. But uh, eventually, it made sense. <laughs> I just uh, I, I I never get tired of foreplay on that record. I mean, that is such an incredible groove. You know, I think it was foreplay that got on Saturday Night Live. I think that was because I remember I got some sort of ASCAP uh, royalty or some something from that. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, it was on. Fred was on there, and they played the tune. So uh, if you're a co-writer, then you you know get some performance or whatever royalties or publishing, I guess it was. So that's what that's the other part of him. You were asking about character, about Bootsy, but. Each one of them showed over the years, you know, what good character they had, what nice pals they were to me. Right now I'm holding up the uh, Player of the Year record. 
because, um, well, it's a great album, but also it has one of the best pictures of you on the back with the rest of the guys. Yeah, that's <laughs> you wouldn't believe that we stopped in the middle of the, of the tour and stopped at this guy's house, and we were literally asleep in the bus, and they said, come here, we're going to take pictures. <laughs> we're going, what? <laughs> we looked all crazy, but they, you know, they got us to where we looked semi-human, and uh, yeah, that was a, a, a nice photo shoot, but that worked pretty good. And, you know... The way that uh, history, looking back at that and, and thinking of uh, the ones that you know, are catfish and, and uh, Razor now and, and, and Kush uh, not being there presently, I mean, being, you know, somewhere else, another dimension, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's hard. Some of this stuff is hard for me to uh, go over because it, it brings back the last days of Kush and uh, uh, playing with George down here to, uh, in Denver uh, several times with Scheider. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was like, bang, the next year was Boogie and, and then uh, Bernie. And Peanut, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've, we got pictures of Peanut at our house. You know, Pat and I had him come over. I think she couldn't even fried chicken or something. We got pictures of him and him and I. I was on the the keyboard doing programming, and, and he was singing. And these pictures, you know, you know, at the time, and I'm I'm awful at that. You know, I didn't keep very much of the of the history. Uh, but you know, what I do have when I see it, you know, it's very stark and real. It's like, oh yeah, I do remember that. That's one of these first pictures I, I picked up was. Um, well, these first two are Kush and Rick, and it's, but there's, uh, like this, this picture here, the, uh, we're wearing red. Well, what is that? That's Macy and Fred and Rick. And they're in Japan with Bootsy. So each one I pick up, I start going, holy cow, that was, you know, and then over here is Don Bynum. Don Bynum and Rick playing with Bootsy in, uh, oh, Sweden. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Sure. 